is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. Welcome back to Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me is Keith Black Trudeau, and we got ourselves another big one today. We're talking about household appliances. We're talking about GE. We're talking about Whirlpool. No, nah, we're not really talking about that. We're talking about Vinny, the microwave Johnson today. Keith, you've been talking a lot about this one. I think you're a little more excited than I am, but I, I mean, I'm excited, but I think you're pumped. Yeah, Vinny is, um, it's kind of weird because everybody knows, even the kids that play NBA 2K know uh, uh, who Vinny Johnson is because of the microwave badge. Uh, That that nickname has stuck with him probably as well as any NBA player this side of Magic Johnson. When you say, when you talk basketball and you bring up the, the name microwave, Every, automatically Vinny Johnson. No one ever has to ask who the microwave is. And, you know, for a guy that came off the bench most of his career, uh, really short uh, as far as uh, individual accolades, his numbers don't pop out at you, but people still remember the name Vinny Johnson because of the the iconic moments, uh, the unorthodox play style that he had. Uh, I can't wait to get into this. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. For me, you know, Vinny is like the first six man of my lifetime. The first the first guy I can remember who was like a, a big deal off the bench. That um so yeah, this is this is this is a good one. This is a big episode. Um before we get into that, uh I just want to once again thank everybody for listening, rating and reviewing. I saw some new reviews on Apple uh podcasts the other day. Thank you very much for doing that. Um apparently we're really big in Australia. Um, I don't know if we can confirm that necessarily, but, uh, we, uh, I, we, we got 4% viewer listenership in Australia. So people really like us there and they like us in Macedonia, uh, Macedonia and, uh, and, and, and yeah, we're just really happy that everybody's enjoying the show and, and, uh, listening and, and all that. So I just wanted to get that out of the way one more time. Um, let's just jump right into it. Uh, Vinny Johnson gets drafted number seven overall by the world champion Seattle Supersonics. Wow. What a way to, you know, get drafted uh, and and just miss out on your first championship. Yeah. So Vinny Johnson, um, before he was uh, called the microwave, he was called the Brooklyn bridge. Uh, he, he's born and uh, raised in Brooklyn, New York, uh, grew up on the playground Describe his play style very much as uh, just like most New York City playgrounds, not a whole lot of space to operate. Uh, He said it it taught him very much uh, how to score in traffic, uh, how to score when you're not open, as he put it. And he he turned and very much uh, developed a uh, unique one-on-one game because Vinny Johnson – uh, if you ever see him, he, he is a very awkward body type for a basketball player. He's 6'2", uh, mildly athletic. I would say a little bit above average, but not certainly not to the point where you would expect a go-to score in the NBA to be. 
at, at six two. You're expect those get those are the type of guys that are either pulling up from you know, 25 feet behind the three-point line, or they were playing well above the rim. Vinny did neither of those. He was more of a mid-range specialist. Uh, developed kind of this shot put, you know, over-the-head style uh, that at 6'2", almost made him seven feet tall because he would shoot it, you know, at oh, well over the top of his head, his release point. Uh, it, it, it almost made him unblockable with his, his body type. Again, uh, stocky guy, wide body. Uh, looked more like a, a running back or a fullback than a basketball player, but it also made him effective in shooting in traffic because it was really hard to get close to his shot without going through his body and fouling him. And even when you did that, he was so strong that you really, it was almost better off. You're almost better off just letting him shoot because you would go through him and he would still, it wouldn't even bother his shot and you'd run the risk of fouling him. It was you were almost better off just hoping he wasn't making his shots that day. And yep, he he went to uh, he actually had to go to a community college for a couple of years. Uh, went to Baylor uh, after going to community college at uh, nearby uh, McLennan, I think. It but it was in Waco, just like Baylor was. So he had to go there for a couple of years. Spent two years at Baylor. Uh, actually, All American second team at at Baylor his senior year, averaged over twenty five points a game. That's what made him. Uh, the seventh overall pick in the draft in 79 by the Sonics. Uh, just three picks after the Pistons had selected. The Pistons had the number four pick uh, that year. They selected a guy named Greg Kelser, local guy. Uh, Dick Vitale. Never heard of him. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dick, Dick, Dick Vitale uh, was running the team essentially back then, and that, that was his selection over both Vinnie Johnson and a guy named Sidney Moncrief, which was would go down as one of the you know, best scoring guards of best two way guards really of all time. And at, like you said, um, Vinny, his, his rookie season drafted by the defending champions who were very heavy in the, in the backcourt, Gus Williams, Fred Brown. Uh, he didn't play a whole lot, his uh, rookie season. And a, a, a few weeks into his rookie season, the, the Pistons actually pulled off a trade. They traded Greg Kelser, by the way, Jack McCloskey, uh, took over. He, the, the great Pistons GM, uh, he, he took over a few months into that season. Dick Vitale didn't last, uh, I think, past November. So, so what, his first move, really, uh, was to trade uh, Greg Kelser to the Seattle Supersonics uh, for a future first-round pick in 1980. And believe it or not, uh, that trade got rescinded because Greg Kelser did not pass his physical. Uh, he, he had he had knee problems. But that that is a little what if because originally the Pistons traded Greg Kelser uh, several years before they traded for Vinnie Johnson. They traded Greg Kelser to Seattle for a for a future first. Uh, McCloskey just wasn't a fan. Uh, but again, that that Seattle canceled the trade after a failed physical. So Vinny was stuck in Seattle a little longer. I want to. Uh, uh, I, I was just looking at this, and and uh, you know, you mentioned that he didn't get a whole lot of playing time his his rookie year. Yep. But I'm just looking at he got 28.5 minutes a game in his second season. What is going yep. on with that? So uh, Gus Williams, uh, one of if not the best player from their 1979 championship team. 
uh, certainly their their lead guard of their many great guards. Uh, he actually had a contract holdout, and they couldn't come to terms, and he essentially missed uh, the entire season uh, for 1980-81. And he didn't play. He, he was essentially a restricted free agent, chose not to play rather than accept Seattle's offer. So all of a sudden, uh, Vinnie Johnson uh, goes from a guy at the end of the bench to he's basically starting. Yeah, he uh, he averaged uh, just over 13 points a game. Uh, this Seattle was still not very good. Actually, Seattle took a big step back uh, just a couple of years after they won the championship. They, they they finished 14 games under 500 with Vinny as a starter. Wasn't necessarily his fault. He just simply wasn't equipped. And a lot of the, those guys uh, weren't equipped to step in and fill the shoes of, of that championship uh, caliber team. And following that, uh, 81-82, Gus Williams ends his holdout. He comes back. And all of a sudden, Vinnie Johnson goes from a guy that was playing, you know, 28 minutes a game, like you said, to a guy that's back uh, – coming off the bench and he wasn't even really playing much off the bench. Uh, Seattle had reloaded their backcourt and he wasn't happy. And he, I, I couldn't find anywhere where he demanded a trade, but I, I could, it was very obvious that he wasn't satisfied going back to where he was as a rookie and that, that relationship soured. And so when, when Jack McCloskey came back two years after the fact and offered Greg Kelser to the Sonics again, uh, this time for Vinnie Johnson, uh, Seattle was actually, they, they didn't care about the field, uh, about a physical at that point. Not only did they take Greg Kelser and trade, uh, they actually gave the Pistons a hundred thousand dollars, uh, <laughs> to sweeten the deal. And, uh, Jack McCloskey, that was his first major trade acquisition uh, after taking over with the Pistons. And towards the end of his career, he called it the best uh, trade he ever made. It's it's really, it, it is a steal, you know. Uh, Special K, while I love him, was, it wasn't that great in the NBA. And uh, and to get Vinnie Johnson plus 100 grand, which I don't know, maybe they bought a new washing machine with that. Uh, you got a microwave and a washing machine out of this trade. That's a pretty good deal for, for old Trader Jack. Uh, so, you know, uh, Vinny comes over to Detroit in 82. And, you know, he doesn't really have a, a big role right away. He's, right. he's still playing like 17 minutes a game. But then, you know, you start to see things flourish for him, uh, 83, 84, 85. What uh, what was the difference in, in um, you know, how did how did – Vinny start to find his role on this team. Well, essentially it was the coach. Um, Scotty Robertson, uh, most people don't know the name, but he was the Pistons coach that uh, pre, uh, preceded uh, Chuck Daly uh, during the Isaiah Thomas era with the Pistons. Uh, Scotty Robertson was not a big fan of Vinny Johnson. Uh, I, I know that they argued a lot. Uh, he complained about Vinny's conditioning. He didn't think he was in shape. Uh, Vinny, it's interesting. Uh, McCloskey acquired uh, Vinny Johnson and Bill Lambeer really in short order. Lambeer was really good as soon as he he stepped foot in Detroit. Uh, Vinny very much uh, looked like a guy that was you know not an impact 
uh, player. He he played, but he was playing a lot of garbage time. Uh, he wasn't getting big rotation minutes. Uh, he wasn't playing all that well when he did get in the game. So in the summer of uh, 82, Jack McCloskey, still looking for that third guard behind uh, John Long and Isaiah Thomas. It were Those were the two uh, entrenched starting guards at the time. Uh, he has two first-round picks uh, that summer, and he spends one of them on a guard named Ricky Pierce. And uh, Ricky Pierce, we will go into his career later, but one of the greatest six men of all time uh, as his career unfolded. Uh, excellent player. However, uh, going into that, that, that his rookie season with the Pistons, there is a contract holdout. He shows up to camp very late. I think he actually might have missed the start of the season. And Vinny Johnson sees that opportunity, and he takes it. Uh, man, he really takes it. Uh, averages almost 16 points a game, shoots over 51% uh, from the field that 82-83 season. Actually supplants John Long. He starts 51 games. And uh, Ricky Pierce never really gets a chance to play. Uh, John Long, even though Vinny passed him up in the starting lineup, John Long's still coming off the bench. Uh, Isaiah is still Isaiah. There just was no opportunity for Ricky Pierce to ever play. So Vinny, having grabbed that rotation spot, uh, he wins the, the battle before it even begins. And McCloskey, after that season, trades uh, Ricky Pierce to the Clippers uh, for a second-round pick uh, rather than pay him a first-round salary to not play. So we go into 1984, and this is Vinny's first time in the role that we would know him at. This is the first time where Vinny Johnson – becomes entrenched as the sixth man. And that was the brainchild of Chuck Daly, who was the new Pistons coach. Scotty Robertson was fired at that point. And he he says, enough with this musical chairs. Uh, this season, we are going to go forward with Isaiah, and we are going to stick um, John Long back in the starting lineup. We're going to have Vinny Johnson as our full-time third guard. He's going to be our, our instant offense guy off the bench, and it works beautifully. Uh the Pistons have the best offense in the NBA in, in that, that season, 1984. Uh, their bench is one of the best benches in the league. Uh, Vinny, they, they called it the A-team uh, after the TV show. Uh, it was the first signature Pistons bench uh, they ever had. Uh, Cliff Levingston, Earl Curitan, uh, Terry Tyler, uh, Vinny Johnson, uh, they would come in. They would create havoc. Vinny would, uh, Vinny would score a lot of points. But the, the Pistons were not very good defensively. And even though they, they make the playoffs for the first time in the Isaiah Thomas era, they lose to the Knicks. And the Knicks, uh, despite Vinny not having a, a, such a great series, they really liked what they saw in Vinny Johnson, who, again, was a hometown kid from New York, grew up a Knicks fan. So the Knicks, after, not, uh, after that series, after that season is over in 1984, they actually signed Vinny Johnson Three years, $1.5 million, which in 1984 money, pretty gigantic uh, for a guy that's a reserve. He, he probably, that, that was, that might've been one of the two or three biggest contracts handed out to a reserve in the entire league, if not the biggest. Uh, but we did not have unrestricted free agency in 1984. So the Pistons matched it, of course. 
you you don't see any photos of Vinny Johnson playing in a Knicks jersey. What could have been? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I get the sense that Vinny, it, it was all about business for for Vinny Johnson. The, the the Pistons, even in the 1980s, as they were building their their championship team, were still very much uh, penny pinchers. They 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 were they negotiated hard line with all of their guys, even though they they wanted them back. Uh, with Vinny, it was no exception, and Vinny, you know, credit for Vinny. He, he sacrificed his minutes to stay with the Pistons and maybe some of his touches. Well, no, he got a lot of touches, but he he didn't get all he didn't get the starters minutes that he maybe could have gotten elsewhere. Certainly with the Knicks, who had they they had trouble with their guards the entire decade of the eighties. Uh, but uh, Vinny always got compensated. Vinny always got paid. Uh, Vinny was all from that point on. Vinny was one of the highest paid backup guards in the entire league every single season. Uh, so that he, he did get compensated. He did get recognized by the Pistons for the value that he brought. So in, in 1985, um, Vinny gets, Vinny gets an honor that uh, he doesn't really exist anymore. He gets a nickname uh, and he gets it from an unlikely source. Uh, tell, tell us, tell us who, who came up with that nickname and, uh, and, and where the heck are all these nicknames? Why did they go away? Well, I, first off, with with the nickname thing, I I think we don't have this many great nicknames uh, today because we can see everything. Like the games are all on League Pass, games are you can see highlights on YouTube. Any player that plays today, if you want to know anything about them, you can make a few clicks, and then all of a sudden, all everything they've ever done is right at your fingertips to to look at. Back then, even in the nineteen eighties you didn't have that. You didn't have league pass. You had a handful of games on CBS or TBS uh, uh, every year. And that's really all you knew. Uh, and so the nicknames be, uh, were kind of the way to describe players to people that had never seen them, seen them play, or they didn't have any way to watch them. And with, with Vinny Johnson, uh, 1985, the, the, his first signature playoff series against the, uh, eventual the defending champion Boston Celtics uh one of the the toughest teams of all time to play against uh Pistons are down 2-1 uh playing in Joe Louis Arena uh the the home of the Detroit Red Wings because the uh the Detroit Pistons uh current home that season the silver the Pontiac Silverdome the roof had collapsed in a snowstorm so they had to play uh the playoffs that year essentially in a hockey arena with putting down a hardwood floor over the ice. Uh, so anyway, Pistons are down double figures going into the fourth quarter, and Vinny Johnson just goes off. One of his signature, no one in this gym can stop me performances, uh, takes 11 shots in the fourth quarter, makes 10 of them, uh, scores 22 points out of his 34. Uh, the Pistons come back to win, and... Back then, we had a football player uh, for the Chicago Bears, one of the probably one of the most famous athletes in sports at the time, named uh, William Perry, a uh, de- big defensive tackle for the Chicago Bears. Uh, everyone called him the refrigerator, you know, for obvious reasons. He, big, enormous human being, loved to eat. Also, could put your offense in the refrigerator, put put your offense on ice. Uh, dominant defensive player. So Danny Ainge, the Celtics guard, after uh, game four, 
makes the comment that if uh, William Perry is the refrigerator, then Vinny Johnson is the microwave because uh, he walks into a game and he can heat up uh, in just a few seconds. And <laughs> far be it for a Celtic to compliment a Detroit Piston, but uh, God bless him, that nickname stuck. And it, it's it's stuck for, what, 30, yeah, 37 years now. <laughs> that, that nickname has stuck to Vinny Johnson. So yeah, he, may, he may owe uh, Danny Ainge some royalties at some point. Uh, but just a, a real quick note on that series. Um, just just a, a quintessential Vinny Johnson series. Uh, here are his point totals for those those six games, uh, starting with game one. Uh, he, 20, uh, one point, eight points, uh, 34 points uh, in, in game four, follows that up with 30 more in Boston, and then comes back home and scores five points in the in game <laughs> six, and the Pistons are eliminated. Oh man! In, in the in in the, in that games four and five, when he combined for for sixty four points, he shot about seventy percent from the field. It's just one of those things where even probably the best defensive team in the league at that point could do nothing with Vinny Johnson. It it was as simple as is he making his shots tonight or not. Yeah, it's uh, those those Pistons Celtics rivalries. It, it they don't get enough love, man. Everybody talks about Pistons and Bulls, or uh, I guess even Pistons and Lakers. But man, that Pistons Celtics rivalry in the eighties that's yeah. that's where it was. Um, so now let's uh, let's jump forward a little bit to the the Bad Boys era has begun. Um, I guess when do you when do you really think the Bad Boys era began? Because I mean, just a quick aside for me, I think it's like eighty seven or eighty eight. W- when do you think the Bad Boys era really begins? It to, to me it, it starts when you you could say they announced their arrival. I think when they beat Atlanta in the second round of the eighty seven playoffs after Atlanta had embarrassed them the year before. Uh, to to me it started when the Pistons traded for Adrian Dantley. I think that's when their roster went from just, you know, a, a pretty good team to th- this team is loaded and they're ready to compete for a championship. Uh, Vinny Johnson, uh, just a quick aside, in, in 1986, that the year after 85, uh, Vinny Johnson obviously comes into the season, you know, with that Celtic series uh, in his rear view. Uh, Chuck Daly, you know, he installs him as a starter just because he – Vinny's just so damn good. He, he just wants to see what he can do. Uh, Vinny plays well. The team really doesn't. Uh, he tries. It, it's uh, it's almost like he goes back to the musical chairs thing that he said was over, where it was, is John Long going to start or is uh, Vinny Johnson going to start? And the Pistons did start it off very poorly that season. And eventually, I, I want to say around January, uh, Chuck Daly installs a rookie named Joe Dumars into the starting lineup. And that that winds up being uh, Daly's rotation for the rest of his coaching career in Detroit. And Vinny Johnson gets reinstalled as six man, never looks back. And then uh, we go into 87. And speaking of which, uh, Vinny Johnson, this is the best year of Vinny Johnson's career. Uh, averages just under 16 points a game in less than 30 minutes, uh, highly efficient. Uh, gets to the line a lot, shoots 46% from the field. Uh, second in six man of the year voting. That's it. This is the really the only year that Vinnie Johnson was ever in contention, believe it or not, for six man of the year. 
uh, finishes a, a, I would say, a somewhat distant second to uh, drumroll Ricky Pierce of the Milwaukee Bucks, who was averaging well over 20 points a game, uh, shooting over 53% from the field. Uh, just statistically, it wasn't a fair fight because he was playing uh, well over 30 minutes a game. Uh, Vinny carries that momentum into the playoffs, uh, the first real deep playoff run the Pistons ever had. They get to the conference finals, and I think Vinny has his best series of his career uh, in that conference finals against the defending champion Celtics. Uh, it was the only playoff series, I think, where that lasted longer than four games where he scored double figures every game. Very consistent. Uh, 15 points uh, in game one, follows that up with 14 14 more, 25 points, 20 points, 24 points in game six. And in game seven, tragically, uh, the Pistons do, they're hanging in there in game seven in Boston. Uh, and late, I, I want to say end of the third quarter, disaster strikes. Uh, Vinny Johnson dies for a loose ball. Uh, Adrian Dantley does the same thing. And it's really sick to watch it because you, you even hear the crack. But both Vinny Johnson, right and their heads, yeah, their heads run right into each other. It is and, tough to watch. Yeah. yeah, and to to just to to illustrate just how uh, tough Vinny Johnson's skull is, uh, Adrian Dantley was knocked out cold. He had to be taken to the hospital. Uh, Vinny Johnson actually came back in and played a few minutes. And I, they both. I mean, they, they would never have been allowed today. Clearly, they both had concussions, like serious concussions. Uh, but, you know, Vinny Johnson, he, he he obviously he had to leave the game, but he came back in uh, beginning of the fourth quarter and played a few minutes. Uh, you know, but he clearly wasn't himself. He had to come back out, and the, the Pistons lose. I want to say they only lost by a few points that game seven. But, man, that, that people remember the Isaiah Steele from that series in game five. But, really – Losing two of your probably four or five best players, you know, in the fourth for the entire fourth quarter of that game seven when it was essentially tied, man, that that is a what if that uh, never gets asked in Pistons history. It's one of those things I think we'd all rather just forget about. <laughs> yeah, that was it's just, but yeah, if you if you can watch uh, that game seven for anyone uh, at home, it, it is really one of the most brutal collisions. I want to say it happens at the end of the, towards the end of the third quarter. Uh, one of the most brutal collisions you'll ever see on a basketball court, just two guys literally diving uh, for a ball and both of them like meet forehead to forehead. Like it, it, it's really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. It's like a car crash. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like a football helmet to helmet type thing, but with no helmets. It's yep. uh, yeah, it's, it's rough. Um, so the Pistons become contenders. Mm -hmm. And Vinny is, you know, sort of that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, he's like the first six man that I can, I can remember. Um, how does, how does Vinny play into these, the two championships? I know that he hits the big shot against the trailblazers in, in, yep. uh, in 90. And we'll talk about that, but how does he, how does he help the Pistons get over the hump in, uh, in 89? Well, I, I, I want to flashback one year, oh, uh, okay. one year in between, if you don't mind, uh, Vinny yeah. actually, 1988, uh, Vinny actually has, for him, you would consider it a down year. Uh, he doesn't play quite as much. Uh, his scoring average drops a few points. His his percentages drop. Uh, his efficiency drops. He 
he bounces back a little bit in the postseason, um, but not a whole lot. Uh, I, I would say it was one of his weaker weaker playoff years. So, but even though the, the Pistons do make it to the finals in 88 and they lose to the Lakers, as we all remember, uh, but there was an expansion draft in 1988. Uh, there, there were people remember the one in 89, of course. Um, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but the one in 88 uh, the was between the, the Charlotte Hornets and the Miami Heat. Uh, they were entering the league that season, and the Pistons could only protect uh, eight players of their nine-player rotation. So they had to pick one guy, like one valued regular to leave unprotected. And they unpro- they left Vinnie Johnson unprotected. Uh, Vinnie Johnson was on the wrong side of 30 at that point, still one of the highest paid uh reserves in the league certainly i think about highest paid reserve guard and they gambled that neither uh the heat nor the hornets would want to take on his salary for a guy that's essentially you know a, a six man and it paid off the hornets uh passed on vinnie johnson and took ralph lewis who was i, I don't even call if I, i'd call him a 12th or 13th man but he, he didn't even really play that season he they simply took him because he wouldn't cost them a whole lot of money so Vinnie Johnson, everyone remembers that the Pistons left Rick Mahorn unprotected in 89, but they actually protected Mahorn in 88, left Vinnie Johnson unprotected in in, uh, in 88, and they actually lucked out. The Both expansion teams passed on Vinnie Johnson, believe it or not. Jeez, between that and the Knicks, like... Yeah, like so every, many, Vinnie Johnson to... <laughs> had, had so many chances in 10 years, uh, you know, so, so many moments where he was almost out of Detroit and every fate kept pulling him back in. And it's one of those things, one of those rare occasions where fate actually did the Pistons a favor uh, because Vinnie Johnson in 89 uh, has a really nice bounce back season. His numbers uh, creep back up. His, his shooting percentages uh, go back up. Uh, believe it or not, uh, Dennis Rodman actually finishes third and sixth man of the year voting that season. So, yeah, Vinny Johnson didn't even get the most six-man votes in his own team anymore, but he was still hugely important. Uh, has a very good playoff series uh, in, in the finals against the Lakers. Uh, mind you, the Lakers were without Byron Scott to start the series. They're starting two guard, and Magic gets injured in game two. So their best backups are, are starting. Michael Cooper and Tony, and later on Tony Campbell, they're starting. So L.A. really didn't have much of a bench, and – Vinnie Johnson just feasts uh, on pretty whatever they have left over. Uh, averages 17 points a game in the finals. Uh, shoots over 60, uh, I want to say 67% from the floor for those four games. Just absolutely kills the Lakers uh, every single time. The Pistons sweep through that series and win their first championship. Uh, but there is an unfortunate downside to that is because Vinnie Johnson was so impressive in the playoffs that – Jack McCloskey got scared uh, in in this go around with the expansion draft because a year after the Heat and Hornets entered the NBA, the Timberwolves and Orlando Magic were entering the NBA, and this time Jack McCloskey was scared that Vinny would get picked regardless of his agent salary, uh, so he leaves Rick Mahorn, who had been injured that season for for a lot of that season, unprotected. He, he had back problems and was roughly Vinny's age. Uh, and luck does not pay off for him, as we all know that everyone that saw the documentary, uh, Rick Mahorn 
uh, as a casualty of Vinny Johnson's great play, Rick Mahorn uh, has to leave the Pistons because he's drafted, uh, I want to say he was the second overall pick in the expansion draft uh, by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, it's a rough loss, but I, he doesn't even, he never even winds up playing for the Timberwolves, which is, right. makes it even worse. No, it, yeah, it's the, um, man, it, it's, uh, I think they traded him to the Sixers for, I think, a first round pick. But j- the thing is, Jack McCloskey was offering you know, a first round pick uh, mm-hmm. for any team that would, for either of the, if, the, if either of uh, those teams, Orlando and Minnesota, would draft uh, Rick Mahorn and then trade him back to him. Uh, he off he was offering a first round pick and neither of them would bite and especially Orlando who had the first pick in that that expansion draft and passed on Rick Mahorn for I think Sydney Green and it was just yeah I I can understand you know look in hindsight I'm I can understand uh Minnesota trading for Philadelphia's first rounder because you know the Pistons were champions they were obviously drafting at the end of the draft so that Philly first round pick would be more valuable but for Orlando, who had the first crack at him to just pass on him entirely for for Sidney Green, who was kind of a career journeyman, was that was kind of a head scratcher to me. Yeah, I I agree. Yep. Uh, So um, we get to 1990, which is uh, provides arguably the biggest moment of Vinnie Johnson's career, the game winning shot against Portland. Talk to me about that year and talk to me about that that shot. So Vinnie Johnson in 1990 probably has his worst full year as a Detroit Piston. Uh, this is the year, uh, even though the Pistons have a, have a great season again, uh, it, this is the year where everyone's kind of questioning is Vinnie Johnson, uh, is, is his, are his best years behind him? Is, is Do we need to start looking to replace Vinnie? Uh, only full season in Detroit where he averages less than 10 points a game. Uh, I, he scored, I think a quarter of the season, 21 games, he scored five points or less. Uh, the, the, the playoffs, he was again, pretty uneven where he would, he would be Vinny for maybe one game out of three or four. And it kind of comes to a head in the finals, uh, Pistons advance, they play Portland and, uh, Vinny Johnson in, in games one and two of the finals, might have had his worst two playoff games as a piston back to back. Combines to shoot one for ten. Uh, just winds up. Uh, I, I think he only scored two points total uh, in those games. The Pistons bench was getting outplayed by Portland's bench. Uh, Portland manages to split those first two games at the Palace. Uh, they go to Portland uh, with the home court advantage, tied one one, and a lot of people remember this series for the redemption moments for Isaiah Thomas, for Bill Ambeer, for, for Joe Dumars to play like he did after the passing of his father. Uh, but this is arguably the maybe the biggest redemption moment for Vinny Johnson uh, because Vinny Johnson in games three, four, and five in Portland uh, scores 21 points, 20 points, and 16 points. He outscores Portland's bench by himself 57 to 27 in those three games in Portland. Uh, it gets overlooked. It is an absolutely dominant performance. Uh, he, he shoots 67% from the floor w- with those point totals. So it's not just volume scoring, it's efficient scoring. And 
everyone remembers that last uh, play in game five with the game tied and the Pistons up three games to one looking to win their second championship. Uh, the, the play is set up for Isaiah Thomas and Isaiah Thomas hands the ball off essentially to Vinnie Johnson. Let's Vinnie Johnson work uh, because he sees he has a mismatch on Jerome Kersey, who's taller, but slower. Uh, he's more of a three or four, uh, three, four power forward type. And Vinny Johnson, uh, typical Vinny, uh, they, they spread the floor out, let him take Jerome Kersey one-on-one. It looks like Jerome Kersey is all over Vinny Johnson. Uh, but Vinny Johnson, as he does, he gets the shot off cleanly right over uh, Jerome Kersey's fingertips, swishes it with 0.7 seconds left on the on the game clock. And that is essentially the championship-winning bu- buzzer beater that caps off, really essentially caps off Vinny's uh, incredible career in Detroit, even though he had another year left. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those things that it's, you know, it goes down in Pistons lore. It's It's one of the great pistons moments even in our uh our intro Mm -hmm. you you hear the you know the uh the announcement right after the the shortly after the shot um when the pistons are officially crowned the champions um so yeah it's it's a it's a big moment and i think it's the thing that i always i always remember about Vinny um is that shot and i think uh yeah when 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 anybody talks about Vinnie Johnson outside of Detroit that that shot gets brought up. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that it was kind of almost, you know, signaling the, the end of his career. He does have one more year in Detroit. It's actually, it's not that bad. Yeah, it, it is. You know, it, it's a pretty good season. He, he, he even starts uh, 28 games, but, yeah. but yes, yeah, averages 11 points a game yet. Not bad for a, you know, a 34 year old in 1991. Yeah, b- people forget um, the, the the playoff series, that very ugly playoff series that I hope we never have to talk about, even though we, we inevitably will, uh, where, the, where the Pistons, uh, they're beat up, they're tired, they're hurt. They're going up against the, the Chicago Bulls, who had the best record in the East at that point. You know, they're ready. Uh, and the Pistons get swept. And... What people don't remember is that Vinnie Johnson actually plays. That's his last playoff series in Detroit. Uh, he played exceptionally well. He was their leading scorer in that series, averaged over 20, 21 points a game, uh, shot the ball very well. It's just I, Isaiah Thomas was still dealing with a, a broken shooting hand. There, there were a lot of guys that just weren't that they weren't up to the standard that they had been. And, you know, I'm not going to take anything away from the Bulls. They were simply better at that point. But I think the Pistons, if healthy, could have given them more of a series. Uh, but Vinny, man, he he went out like a champ. Uh, played exceptionally well uh, every single game in that series. And despite all of that, uh, again, Vinny Johnson compensated very well his entire tenure in Detroit. Uh, but at that point, he was in his mid-30s. Uh, he was still making more money, uh, I think, than anyone on the team other than Isaiah and Bill Lambier. And he was he was making significantly more than Joe Dumars, who was a perennial all-star at that point. Uh, ar- arguably the Pistons' second best player. Really their best player that season because Isaiah was hurt. So it just didn't make any sense for the Pistons to retain Vinny. And they, they knew he was in physical decline. So uh, just about one year after he hits the championship-winning shot, 
Uh, and I think just two months shy of 10 years after they acquired Vinnie Johnson, uh, they, they let Vinnie Johnson go. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where object, if you look at, at it objectively, uh, even in hindsight, it was the right decision. Uh, Vinnie Johnson, after being incredibly durable, I think he only missed five games in 10 years in Detroit. Just uh, the, the guy showed up to every single game and, you know, he had to have knee surgery after that season. Uh, he goes to the Spurs, misses, I think, a quarter of the season. He he doesn't play all that poorly, uh, but he was he's it was clearly the end of the line for him. Uh, there there was an amazing um, emotional moment when he he's able to he, the, the the Spurs visit the Palace in '92 at the, towards the end of the season, and Vinny's able to play, and they get he gets a standing. He actually is able to. Uh, I think they started him that game, and the, the crowd, the entire Palace crowd, gives him a standing ovation. Like there there was and still is so much love for Vinny Johnson in Detroit. Um, I think he may be the most, if you call Manu Ginobili a reserve, I can understand it, but he, Manu Ginobili aside, I think he's the most uh, loved uh, backup guard, I think in NBA history, you know, to, to the team that he played for. And Vinny is able to finish the season for San Antonio, but David Robinson was hurt that season. So they had no chance. Uh, they got swept out of the first round. And after the season, Vinny Johnson uh, retires. And just two years at two years later, and the again, the, the Pistons make people wait forever to get your they'll retire every your number, but they'll make you wait. They made Bob Lanier wait 10 years. They made Dave Bing wait, I think 10, 11 years. Dennis Rodman, I think, was his number was retired 15 years after he left the Pistons. Uh Vinny Johnson. Uh, three years after the Pistons released Vinny Johnson, his number no, number fifteen goes up to the Rafters. I think that's that's the special connection that he had uh, with the city of Detroit that never really left. And, and well, he never really left either. I mean, he wound up coming back. I think he was part of the Chamber of Commerce there for a minute. Owned a um, a Ford dealership as well. So yeah, um... Vinny Vinny is still. Uh, Vinny is still getting the bag even today. Incredibly successful businessman. We're not going to go too much into that in this podcast. We, we prefer to keep things basketball related, but he has had an incredibly successful business career uh, following his playing career. All right. So now we're going to, so that wraps up Vinny's career. Uh, now we need to get to some, some questions, some legacy things. And there's some, there's some legislation to, to be had here. Did the Pistons make the right decision by choosing Vinny over Ricky Pierce? Because you could certainly make an argument that they did not because Ricky winds up going on to Milwaukee and becomes like a, a big time scorer, two times six man of the year, makes an all-star team in 91. I mean, this is a guy averaging, you know, 20 points a game. Uh, multiple times, and he's doing it in this basically the same minutes per game that Vinny's doing. Did did Jack choose right? Yeah, so this is interesting. Uh, Jack McCloskey, he he called uh, the trade of Greg Kelso for Vinny Johnson the the best trade that he ever made. But he also called trading away Ricky Pierce for a second round pick the worst uh, trade he ever made, the worst decision he ever made, and. Since those guys were in competition for essentially the same job, you wonder, you know, how how can these things both be true? 
And I, I, I am going to make an argument for it. Uh, Ricky Pierce, by the way, if you look for it statistically, uh, his, his numbers, if you've never heard of them, uh, let me introduce you to Ricky Pierce. Uh, big guard, uh, strong as hell, uh, could shoot from deep, uh, well beyond the three-point line. Uh, much better shooter than Vinny Johnson, who by his own admission was more of a scorer than a shooter. Uh, Vinny was always a mid-range guy. Even though, but when he got hot, he would occasionally step behind for three. Uh, Ricky Pierce was one of the only guards, really, in NBA history uh, that was consistently averaging over twenty points a game and not starting. Uh, Two-time Six Man of the Year award winner, and the funny thing is, he actually made an All-Star team coming off the bench, playing in one of the seasons where he didn't win Six Man of the Year award. Uh, I think they just got tired of giving it to him because um, there's no other reason why he, he, should, he shouldn't have won three or four of these things. Uh, and, and if you look at his numbers, uh, Rick, Ricky Pierce's numbers dwarf Vinny Johnson's. Uh, Ricky Pierce to this day and Piston fans of today, you can talk about Chris Middleson and, and the mistake that it was made to let him go. Uh, but Ricky Pierce still holds the record for the most points career points scored by an ex-Detroit Piston for a player that played in Detroit and left uh well over 14,000 career points after the Pistons traded him uh Middleton he no Chris Middleton will probably surpass that someday but he he is not there at this point uh so and I bring up all of this uh Vinnie Johnson's career high if you look it up his his career high in, in points per game is 15.8 uh, Ricky Pierce surpassed that seven times in his career. <laughs> he scored well over 20 several times. So now you're listening to all this and you're asking, okay, well, obviously Ricky Pierce is the better player. You know, they, the, the Pistons would have made the same run and maybe one more with Pierce instead of Vinnie Johnson. And this is where I'm going to uh, do a 180 because I still think Vinnie Johnson was the right pick. See, when we, when we talk about third guards, uh, not just a backup guard, mind you, a third guard, a guy that's supposed to be backing up the one and two positions. Uh, there is a responsibility that comes with that. You have to be interchangeable. Uh, that's what made the, the Pistons three guard rotation so beautiful is just like Isaiah Thomas, just like Joe Dumars, uh, Vinnie Johnson could could play the, the point or play off the ball if he needed to. Like there was a lot of times where Isaiah would get into foul trouble early and Vinnie Johnson would have to come in and play with the starters instead of the bench. And he would have to, you know, be the floor manager instead of the guy that comes in shooting. Like he would have to assume that, that role, which wasn't his best role, but he would still do it because that was his, that was his way of making the team better. Now, if you look at Ricky Pierce, single-minded gunner, uh, certainly a high efficiency gunner, really unstoppable once he got going, but Ricky Pierce was never, ever, ever uh, going to be a guy that ran your offense for you. He was a guy that you ran your offense to get the ball. And I don't think that the chemistry would have worked with Ricky Pierce in Detroit. Uh, Vinny Johnson, more of a combo guard, a little more versatile, maybe a little bit better defensively, but I think that's a wash. Uh, I, I, I think, and it, Again, if you look at the, the guards that, that Ricky Pierce was playing behind uh, during his prime, uh, Craig Hodges, 
John Lucas, Jay Humphreys, uh, Jeff Greer, Sedale three. I mean, none, none of these guys are, he, he's in, in most instances, he's playing more minutes than the guys that are starting ahead of him. You know, Vinnie Johnson was playing behind Isaiah Thomas and Joe Dumars, two hall of famers. So it, even though he was given a green light to shoot when he, when he got into the game, most of the time, uh, his, his opportunities were significantly limited compared to Ricky Pierce. So even though uh, Ricky Pierce, wonderful player, and I think he deserved more six man of the year awards than he actually won. Uh, I, I think Vinny Johnson, if you look at his career numbers, I, I think people look at them and don't put them into the proper context because he was a much better player than simply a guy that came in and averaged 16 points off the bench, which is still very good. But I think there's a reason people think about him when they think about the greatest six men of all time, even though he never won the award himself. All right. Well, I got to I got to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here. And look, I love Vinny Johnson. You know, the microwave is I, I love the guy. I love him. Glad the Pistons had him. But you could certainly make a couple arguments here. Um, one of them being, OK, Vinny leaves the Pistons in 91. He's 34 years old at that point. That same exact year, a 31 year old. uh <clears throat> Uh, Ricky Pierce makes the all-star team as a guy coming off the bench, averages 17 points a game. Uh, and, and Ricky, Ricky still plays till, till 1998. So you're getting a little bit more longevity and he was still a scorer up until that point. Yeah. I mean, I know it's not like a, a, a ton, but in 97 uh, at 37 years old for the Hornets, he's averaging 12 points a game. I mean, uh, you know, uh, there was some injury issues later in his career, obviously, but, I think you could make an argument that if if you if you go with Ricky, you would have gotten a younger guy who could potentially score more, um, yeah. and would have played a little bit longer. I, I I mean that's the only argument I'll make. I, I really I I don't I don't think that there's a wrong or right here. I think I think I think both both ways could have worked. And um, but I wonder you know if with that youth and with that scoring ability off the bench. Do the Pistons maybe beat the Bulls in '91, or do they get past the Lakers in '88? Um, I don't. I don't know. Well, I, I don't think there's any argument for '91 because as we went over, Vinny was the best player in the court for the Pistons in that '91 series. Yeah, that's he, he, yeah. he was their leading scorer. Yeah. At, you know, well over 20 points a game. So unless Ricky Pierce is averaging 35, I don't think that he's able to make a dent in that series. And Aside from that, I think there's always chemistry issues uh, to consider. I, I think that's what made Vinny great uh, with the Pistons is he did have great chemistry with Joe and Isaiah because they could all, depending on the situation, any of them could play the one, any of them could play the two. Ricky Pierce was a pure two. He was always going to be a two. Uh, if you, if, even if you look at his uh, assist numbers, they're just nowhere near what Vinny Johnson's were. Uh, I, I don't you could have him with the Pistons. I don't think that the chemistry would have been the same. You would have had to find a fourth guard uh, to play backup point minutes. It, it would have been difficult to have a three-guard rotation of Isaiah, uh, Joe, and Ricky Pierce. Not to mention, I don't know if Ricky Pierce would have accepted, you know, playing fewer minutes behind, you know, two entrenched perennial all-stars as opposed to what he was doing for most of his prime, which was – you know, playing behind journeyman, all due respect to the guys that I named. Uh, yes, he, he would have uh, 
been with the Pistons a lot longer than Vinny. I don't know if that would have helped them much because the bad boys were torn down essentially a year after they let Vinny Johnson go. They had, you know, one more run in 92 where they, they didn't make it past the Knicks. Maybe, maybe Ricky Paris helps them win that series. I seriously think so. But then the Bulls would have just beaten them in night in the second round anyway. So I don't know if that's worth the sacrifice. And, you know, for the, for the rest of Ricky Pierce's career, the Pistons were kind of uh, torn between being mediocre and rebuilding. So I, I don't know if, especially in his later years, if that would have impacted things much. Okay. Well, you know, fair enough. Again, I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think that, yeah. you know, it's, it's, um, you know, they, they, they made the right decision. They won two championships. I mean, uh, you can't, you know, whatever. Um, so, uh, all right, now I have another question. Was okay. was Vinny Johnson? <clears throat> excuse me. Was Vinny Johnson born too early? Because I look at Vinny and I wonder if he could play in this era. Because I feel like he can. He he's almost like Draymond Green if Draymond could shoot. <clears throat> like he's this big, you know, broad tank of a guy, but like he could he could shoot the ball in an era where everybody's shooting the ball. And, and you mentioned he's got that height, which uh, he would have been a perfect guy to to pull up, you know, like Steph, twenty five uh, feet away from the three point line or something. <laughs> Maybe I don't. You're giving me a look there. I, I'm not. I'm not saying Vinny Johnson is like Steph Curry. I'm saying that Vinny Johnson is like the guy who wants to be like Steph Curry. He's like a uh, uh, he's like a Colin Sexton or something. I, I feel like I feel like Vinny Johnson could have could play in this era or at least could have played in the 2010s or early 2000s. Yeah, you can go two ways with it. Uh, Vinny, his range was essentially 15, 16, maybe 17 feet. I mean, that was nine times out of 10, though, that 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 was the range that he shot at. He was a very much a mid-range specialist that occasionally got to the line. Um, never a, a great three-point shooter, though, like as I said before, once he got hot, he could step behind the arc and, and shoot a few. Uh, now, the argument today, I suppose, is, you know, growing up with the three-point line emphasized, would he have more range today? And it's possible. Uh, but if, if you look at his shooting mechanics, that that high mechanical release, I, I don't think it lends itself very well at all to shooting well beyond the three-point line. There's just too many moving parts there. Uh, it, it was perfect for shooting over seven-footers in the lane. That that's kind of what he built his his scoring style around was isolation scoring, was scoring against switches against big men, uh, posting up guards, uh, smaller well I should say uh, weaker guards, just shooting over the top of, of players and that's something he did very well. Could he play today? I I think of course he could, but he would have to reinvent his game somewhat. He would at least have to reinvent that shot. Yeah, and, which... but but again, by by Vinny's own admission, uh, he was not a, a a shooter by trade. He was a scorer. He 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 always looked at it. His job wasn't to shoot the ball; it was to score points. You uh you, you mentioned on Twitter the other day that uh, that he almost shoots better, almost needed the contact mm-hmm. to shoot better. So maybe that comes into play because there's yeah. not as much contact now. Um. I don't know, unless he's a guy that Vinny could have been a guy who well, could get you a foul. Yeah, well, Vinny would have racked up offensive fouls today. Yeah. With the, he, he, 
it's not that he was uh, absorbing contact, which he did. I, I put out a video on, on Twitter, like you said, of, of guys consistently hitting him underneath the legs on his shot, and he was still making them. Uh, but the thing is, Vinny Johnson would – one of the only guards I've ever seen that would consistently lean into a defender on his jumpers, not not fading away from contact. He would lean in. He would try to create contact. I, he would almost pick up flagrant fouls on offense today. Just the, the the aggressive way that he shot the ball, the the, the physical. It's hard to describe it without showing uh, on video. But that that's he he played the game almost like a running back, where he needed to feel contact, or he just wasn't comfortably in the flow of a game. It, it, it's it's almost hilarious to say that that he he was more physical on offense than he was on defense, but he, he kind of was. It, very unique player. I, I anytime I, I see a good Vinny Johnson game, he's just so much fun because he he played the game in a way that was so much different than everyone else on the floor. Oh well, you know this has been a, a fun episode today. And uh, is there anything else that you want to uh, touch on with Vinny Johnson before we get out of here? Uh, no, I I think we we've pretty much covered it. Uh, it Vinny. Oh at first glance doesn't seem like a, a very complicated topic. You know, he, he's the guy that everyone thinks of when they think of, you know, the six man, uh, great third guard, great scorer. But I, I think as we've already gone over, there's a lot of uh, twists and turns to his career. There's a lot of things that you look deeper at and it, it's very interesting to talk about. He, I think to me, he, he might be the most interesting uh, bad boy to talk about because there's, there, there's such a, I don't know. There, there, there's such a clash of, uh, of facts, you know, between, you know, his, his production and his value. And as we said, the rookie Pierce thing, um, the, the players that they passed on to keep him, you know, all the opportunities that he almost left Detroit and never did. And in the end, he played 10 years in a, in a Detroit Piston uniform, just about. And I, I think pretty much all of them were had at least one uh, quintessential memorable Vinnie Johnson moment. Well, that is going to do it then for this episode. Uh, next week, we've got another big one, another big redraft, the 1987 uh, redraft. We've got Reggie Miller. We've got David Robinson. This is going to be a really fun one. I, I, Keith, I'm wondering, are you, do you think we'll wind up sticking? Don't, never mind. Don't spoil Don't spoil it. I was going to see if we'd stick on the first pick, but we're not going to spoil it. We're not going to spoil it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, that's what we've got. And then, you know, we'll have another great piston after that. Uh, we'll, we'll announce that on next week's episode, who we're going to cover th- uh, after that. And uh, yeah, you know, again, thank you guys for, for listening. We're really happy with, uh, with, you know, with the re- the turnout that, that we're getting on these episodes and, and it's been great. And uh, you know, again, please rate, review, subscribe, do all that stuff. Uh, help us keep the lights on over here at at Bad Boys and Beyond, and uh, you know, go to our Twitter. Also, you know, hey, who do you guys want us to cover? Do you do you want a a you know Bill Curley episode? Do you want do you want when do you want that Darko episode? If you annoy us enough, maybe we'll do that Joe Dumars episode early. Just go over there and 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 tell us who you guys want us to cover, and and um, and and we will we will do that. Uh, We're here for you. So, uh, Keith, um, tell them where they can find you. Uh, 
My name is Keith Black Trudeau. Um, I, on Twitter, I'm charlatan28. Uh, generally, what I do there is I, I, I talk a lot of uh, NBA history. That's been my passion my whole life. Uh, I, I put on a lot of uh, historic uh, basketball-related videos that I'll, I'll cut clips of uh, to highlight a specific player, a specific moment in uh, NBA history. I put out a pretty good Vinnie Johnson video. Uh, if people want to go and search them under my Twitter account to look at the video of the things that we've been discussing today, I I put a pretty good uh, two minute, uh, 20 second Vinnie Johnson uh, highlight clip of all of his, uh, a lot of his contested shots and his, the ability that he had there. Yeah. You guys, again, you know, I say it every week, but if you love basketball and, even if you don't love basketball, you just love history and you love sports. Go follow this man on Twitter. He's got all, all the stuff that you can imagine uh, as far as basketball goes. He, he, the man has a vault. I'm looking at him right now. There's a literal vault behind him <laughs> with a, with a retinal scan and everything. It's full of tapes. Um, he gave me some tapes last week and oh man, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed them so much watching the Pistons. Um, play against the bulls in in 97 that win you know i uh we're going aside again here but man they dominated that game absolutely dominated that game the bulls you know didn't know you know obviously michael like rolls his ankle at the beginning of the game but but still plays the rest but terry mills goes off i mean absolutely goes off i'm very much looking forward to the terry mills episode um and then you know uh, you gave me a game in which I actually went to for my birthday, November 15th of 1997 against the New Jersey Nets. And I, you know, we're getting into this game and and I'm watching and I'm like, you know, so we used to get tickets from my dad's boss, my stepdad's boss. He would give us his season tickets for games that he wasn't going to go to. And now I realize why he gave us those tickets because Grant Hill was out. Uh <laughs> like Joe Dumars was out. Everybody on the nets was out. Like it was, it was, it was a who's who of, I mean, if you wanted to go see Malik Seeley lead the Pistons to an overtime win, this was your game. And I don't, we didn't even, we didn't even stay for the whole game. I remember, you know, it was one of those, let's, let's get out of here and beat traffic thing. And we missed the overtime win. Um, We listened to it on the radio on the way home, but yeah, I always remember that one. I and I thank you for those tapes. Uh, anyways, um, I'm going to ask you for more as soon as we get off the air. Uh, <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at pod underscore Peyton. It is Hard Knocks night. Uh, it, we're recording this on Tuesday. Hard Knocks is going to be on at ten or ten p.m. tonight um, to answer Keith's question. Even though I shouldn't do this on the air, it doesn't even matter. It will be on HBO Max shortly after 10 p.m. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, when you wake up in the morning after you listen to this podcast, head over to prideofdetroit.com and you will see my thoughts on the first episode of Hard Knocks. And they will be sitting there right in front of you, ready for you to read them. So we will see you guys next Tuesday with the 1987 NBA draft. Thanks for listening and goodbye.